Andrew Talks to Chefs is an independent podcast. For current and past episodes, Andrew's blog, contact information, and more, please visit andrewtalkstochefs.com. To support us, please visit patreon.com slash andrewtalkstochefs. Enjoy the show. Andrew Talks to Chefs is brought to you in part by San Pellegrino Sparkling Natural Mineral Water. For more than 120 years, San Pellegrino has been inspiring people to savor life and tasteful moments around the table. As chefs and restaurants have evolved worldwide, San Pellegrino has always been there to complement the food they serve, the moments they create, and to support them in both good and challenging times. Learn more at sanpellegrino.com. The following episode of Andrew Talks to Chefs is brought to you in part by Bento Box and Clover. From websites and marketing tools to point of sale, payments, and ordering, Bento Box and Clover together offer all the unified technology you need for restaurant success. Learn more and book a demo today at getbento.com slash better. I'm Massimo Bottura. This is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs. It was like a moment of clarity where it forces you to, myself, more than anybody, and, that, and that's what I kind of expressed. There's nobody that is put more on the chopping block than me by myself by calling my restaurant group Respect Hospitality. That is the voice of Mark Forgione of the newly opened One Fifth Restaurant in New York City. Mark is our guest today on Andrew Talks to Chefs. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman. Our feature guest today is Mark Forgione. More on Mark and why he has returned to the pod in just a moment. Before I get to that, I do need to acknowledge, and you may notice a little extra oomph in my voice, a little extra pep in my verbal step. I am so happy to be back on the air. As regular listeners surely have noticed, we haven't posted a show in several weeks. I do want to thank those of you who have reached out to ask if everything is okay. Even some of you who I've never met or corresponded with before have done that. And a number of you have written to ask when we will be back. And we are now back. We will be back at the very least, weekly through the fall, uh, we are setting Thursdays as the day that we are going to be launching our show. Just briefly, because I want to get right to my conversation with Mark Forgione, everything is totally fine. To be honest, August got the best of me. We sent both of our twins off to college for the first time, one in Pennsylvania and one in Colorado. We moved from the wilds of Westchester County, where we had lived for the last seven years, back to Brooklyn, New York. I could not be happier, and I speak for myself and for my wife, Caitlin, who some of you have heard on the show in the past, could not be happier to be back in New York, to be waking up in the city that I love, to be stepping out into the hectic energy of this city, uh, to be able to spontaneously see friends in a way I haven't been able to in almost a decade. I love our new apartment, and I love seeing 
people I really care about and want to stay in touch with way more often already in just a matter of weeks. But that is what happened this summer, and I didn't mention it the first time because I didn't feel the need to share it. Um, but just by way of explanation, I also in August had my second bout of COVID within the span of eight weeks. I managed to avoid that thing for over two years, and then I got it twice in eight weeks. I have no lingering symptoms. I feel great. I'm totally back to normal and full strength. But, you know, I pride myself on working hard and meeting deadlines, but something had to give last month. And uh, unfortunately, it was the show, but I don't anticipate that happening anytime soon, uh, at least unless, you know, life throws me some major curveball, which I hope I'm going to knock on wood. I hope that won't happen. The good news is that we have still been recording interviews and we have a, a really great backlog of conversations to bring you in the coming weeks. If I can swing it, I might even launch more than one a week. But the only thing I want to promise you for the fall, at least, is that you can count on an episode every Thursday. There may be more, but every Thursday is what we are setting as our regular day to drop episodes uh, for th the foreseeable future. And again, it's great to be back. And again, to those of you who did reach out by email or uh, if you didn't know me personally by DM, mostly on Instagram, uh, I really do appreciate the concern and the sentiment that you missed us, and I'm glad to be back with all of you. Running a restaurant means keeping up with the times, and now more than ever, the times keep changing. Luckily, technology has the power to make keeping up a whole lot easier. Bento Box and Clover are now working together to provide restaurants with the technology they need for even more success. From Bento Box's world-class website design and marketing tools to Clover's state-of-the-art solutions for managing point-of-sale transactions and payments, every detail that goes into a great hospitality experience is supported and streamlined. So whether you own or operate a restaurant or group of restaurants, you're free to focus more time on human interactions, which of course is what restaurants are all about. Learn more and book a demo today at getbento.com slash better. And on a personal note, I want to welcome Bento Box and Clover to the show. This is the first episode that they are supporting. And for your convenience, and this will be true for all future episodes uh, that they advertise on, the link that we just mentioned is featured on the episode notes for this show at andrewtalkstochefs.com as well as on Apple Podcasts and on any other platform where the links are functional. So as I say, our feature guest today is a returning guest, Mark Forgione, who was on the show a couple of years ago. He is surely known to just about everyone who listens to the podcast. He's been very successful in the restaurant world with his Michelin-starred restaurant, Mark Forgione. More recently, and even this goes back about two years now, a little more than two years, he took over the restaurant Peasant in Lower Manhattan, which is something we get into in detail in this conversation. The occasion of the interview was the launch of Mark's new restaurant, One Fifth, which is a market-driven Italian restaurant in the storied One Fifth Avenue space at the corner of 8th Street in Greenwich Village. We conducted the interview at Mark's apartment, uh, in the late summer, and I had hoped to run it before opening, but now the restaurant is open. It's been open for several weeks, 
And you can and should pay to visit. I was lucky enough to attend Friends and Family there with Caitlin. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I am now plotting my return as a normal paying customer. I, I want to see how it's evolved. And uh, I want to eat some of the dishes I had uh, if they are still on the menu. As you'll hear in the interview, the menu is going to change with some frequency. So I may discover some new favorites. This is a free-ranging conversation that covers Mark's family roots in the restaurant business. Many of you may know that his father is the legendary chef, Larry Forgione. We also talk about Mark's love for landmark restaurant spaces and the story behind the name of his newly formed Respect Hospitality Group. One quick note, early in the interview, Mark refers to Forge Restaurant. That was actually the original name of restaurant Mark Forgione. I won't get into the reasons for it, but he had to change that name. I don't think he was thrilled about having to do that. Uh, eventually, I do jump in and explain that in the conversation, but when you first hear him use that name, please don't be confused. He is referring to restaurant Mark Forgione. As always, our feature interview is presented by Sam Pellegrino. Whether in life or on the plate, Every chef has a story to tell. Sam Pellegrino proudly helps them share those stories in their restaurants and right here on Andrew Talks to Chefs. The perfect complement to great food and meaningful interactions, Sam Pellegrino is delighted to be a part of the conversation. Learn more at sanpellegrino.com. And with that, let's get to my conversation with Mark Forgione. Here he is. Good to see you. Thanks for welcoming me to your home above the Mermaid Inn, formerly the Red Cat. How are you? It's good to see you. Yeah. You know, when you asked where to meet, you know, if we had a nice, quiet place, I feel like the only nice, quiet place I have really right now is right, right. <laughs> is my house at yeah. this hour. It's so. very peaceful in here. Yeah. Can I just say, and at the risk of overgeneralizing, this, what you have sitting out on the counter to me is like a quintessentially Italian gesture. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, I walk in. We actually had a mix-up on the date. I confirmed, so it was a last-second thing. You must have run out between when I we spoke to confirm and when I got here. But, you know, I get here, and there's some pickled veg. There's some olive uh, focaccia, and there's, uh, what is this, mortadella mm-hmm. and mozzarella? Sun-dried tomatoes. And, and sun-dried tomatoes on bread. Can we plug it? This is from the Sullivan Street of course. bakery around the corner. To be, but you you went out and grabbed this stuff for a company, right? Well, to be very clear, I probably would have made something for you tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> I knew I should have been more flexible. But, but to your po- to your point, the the Italian in me, you know, I mean, there's no way you can have somebody show up to your house um, yeah. and not put out I love something. It. So yeah, um, and like I said, I'm lucky enough. You know, Jim and his team do such a great job over at Sullivan Street. Yeah, and- it's been a little while, but I I've you know come to Peasant a few times during you know this pl- plague we've been living through. So I've seen you a bit, but just generally, how are you? How are the restaurants? How How's the company? How's your team? Like just if I put it out there super broadly like that, how how's everybody doing? Yeah, man. I mean, listen, uh, me, like everybody else, it's been um, a really, really wild ride. I hate to say it's starting to feel normal again, because every time I say that, they tell us we can't have indoor dining. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this is the summer, right? So we got to we gotta get through a, a fall, winter. Uh, we are, you know, starting to feel pretty normal again. And never mind normal, you know, the summer always dies down a little bit for extremely obvious reasons. Uh, you know, we had an amazing June at both spaces. And July, uh, so far, you know, knock on wood, has been great. And with Peasant in particular, this is my first... I took it over January 2020. 
So this is my first summer where we don't have any restrictions. Full c- capacity yeah, indoors. You know what I mean? so, right. And we had no idea what was going to happen, you know? Yeah. But, and what I'm so kind of glad to see is that people, never mind, are okay with sitting inside. They want to sit inside and like they want to see the fire and they want to see the pigs roasting. And I was curious about once it got hot out if people would want to be outside. And we actually bought like 30 tables that we don't even use because when we ask, when they make the reservations inside or outside, they, they say inside. And a lot of them say because we want to see it. I mean, you've been there. It's like a crazy energy and mm-hmm. such a unique space. Can we just interrupt ourselves for a second for people who don't know? Because I don't. I think a lot of people don't know. Can you just talk about the legacy of that space? Because there was a moment in time, there was a big article once years ago, maybe in Gourmet, I can't remember about all the chefs. That was like an after hours chef dinner spot for years. It was Frank. The Carlo. The Carlo had this restaurant. Well, why don't you explain it? Because yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I can it's, tell you it was, from, it was such a thing when that place opened. I could tell you from me, I mean, I was, I was a young cook, then eventually a chef and, um, you would walk into peasant and, you know, never mind just the ambiance that it had. I mean, you felt like you were walking into somebody's house in, in Tuscany. I mean, Obviously, you still do. I think even at the time, I mean, you remember this probably more than anybody, you know, we'll, we'll call it, there was like a, <laughs> I don't know, an era in food, you know, like when LBE opened and, well, not when LBE opened, but, you know, when they started. When it like started to really yeah, get traction and, and get, right. So everybody wanted to try to do LBE food and everybody was bending and twisting and, you know, I had, hate to admit, probably myself included a little bit too much. You know, everybody was trying to, I think, do things with food that only a certain very talented few can pull off, you know, i.e. like Wiley or Grant and uh, Ferran and, you know, people like that. And when you went to Peasant, it was like you got octopus in a cassuela. <laughs> right, counter-programming. Yeah, the TV man. people would call it counter-programming. And he wasn't trying to do anything. He, was, he wasn't no, trying he to was make a statement. He, yeah. had been, he had yeah. a place before that, like a 10th Street and 2nd Ave or something, like Cherica yeah, or Cherica or something like that. It was, I met him. I was there one night and I just... Before Peasant, you mean? Before Peasant. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I went over and introduced him. I remembered even there, like he was kind of figuring, he was already kind of in that lane. Mm-hmm. And it was really good. Yeah, his food was so soulful. Um you know, again, I could tell you, I used to go there and, you know, without even looking at the menu, I would just say, I'll take the sepia, I'll take the octopus, <laughs> right. I'll take the sardines. Yeah. There was just, again, like something so clean and pure. And now that I am the beneficiary of this oven and this grill, I swear to you, I put olive oil, salt and pepper on an onion and then I put it in that oven and then it comes out and it's the best onion I've ever eaten in, in my life. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, it, it it's, it's hard to explain and... It's been such like a, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, you know, I, I thank, I thank the great spirit every night on my way home mm-hmm. when I leave that place, like, you know, just thank you. And, but how did it, tra- how did it come to you? Cause he had been very public that he wanted it to continue. How did the transfer of ownership happen? Yeah. It's, it's a crazy, I mean, my life is filled with these crazy, I mean, if, if, if you remember our last interview, like. I tell these stories and people are like, there's no way that really happened. I hosted an event for the New York City Food and Wine Festival at Peasant. At the time I wanted to do it at Peasant because I was gonna open a wood-burning restaurant in um, the meatpacking district. So I wanted to like get like a little traction on wood-fired and Forgione and da 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 da. And I gave, uh, it was myself, Frank and Mads, um, Red's Fund, 
Um, we did a dinner for like 80 people or something like that. It was my, I was hosting it, so I gave a speech to the, to the crowd. I don't remember if it was at the beginning or the end, but I gave a speech. And in the speech, I just mentioned how, you know, Frank is, you know, the, the chef chef. You know, you said before, chefs used to, all the chefs used to eat there. and Yeah, and, and like guys like Danielle and everyone. Eric Repair. And like, there was a reason. It's because we would leave our quote unquote, I don't know, chaotic, fancy, you know, kitchens. Yeah. And you would just be able to sit down and just eat pure that's how chefs Food. like to eat after work, yeah. right? Or like Tiapol, the yeah. tapas place around the corner course, from here. Yeah, yeah down the street. They, all the time. But they had a moment where they were like the it place. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. went in there late, that's you would see a bunch of chefs. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, just mentioned how much I love Frank. And I think I made like, you know, a joke. Like when I grow up, I want to be Frank. And um, that this restaurant is very special to me. And this is all true. I wasn't bullshitting. You know, if you go to Forge and you go to Peasant, you're like, wow, these kind of look similar. I mean, that wasn't by accident, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I was already eating at Peasant when I was designing Forge. And I gave this speech just about how special it is, how much it means to me. And um, after the dinner was over, Frank kind of, we were having a glass of wine at the bar and he wanted to make sure that I, I was serious about the things that I said. You know, and at the time, I didn't know why he was asking me that. I just kind of said... Yeah. He was just saying, like, you really mean that? Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, hey, you, you know, you really mean the stuff you just said? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, of course. And he was like, oh. you know, I think he said thank you. Um, but he didn't say anything. He just kind of gave me, like, a, a look. And I was like... And then his wife, who most people don't realize, his partner, her name is uh, Dulce, she came over to me and she was like, you know, nobody knows this, but, you know, we're, we're retiring at the end of this year. And that was it. That, that was, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. No, like, there was not even an inkling of, you know, mm -hmm. I was just sad and whatever. And then I get a call, like, three or four months later. I think it was in uh, September. And, you know, Frank asked me one more time, you know, did you mean everything you said? <laughs> it's like a courtship. Yeah. And um, this is, like, the weird, funny part, but he's just like, you know, nobody knows, but we're retiring. And, you know, I just, I don't want it to become like, you know, um, a Starbucks or an Apple store. Like, I don't care what you do with it, but, you know, just, you know, I want somebody that's going to respect it. He didn't tell me that he would like it to stay peasant. He just said, I want somebody that's going to respect this space to, to take it. And I was like, are you asking me if I want peasant? You know, because he didn't like say that yet. And he's like, yeah, if you want it, you know, it's yours. And I could almost like tell there was a but. And I was like, but what? <laughs> He's like, but you got to tell me now. Like right now. It's <laughs> so funny. I never heard all this. <laughs> and he said, um, you know, he basically said like, I have a couple other people on a short list, but you got to, you know, like I, I want to know by the end of the day or something. You know what I mean? It was like something crazy. And like, I didn't even let him hang up the phone. I was like, just give me a minute. And like, I just, I put the phone in like my chest and I was like, and you have to remember, I was getting ready to open a wood-burning restaurant based off of Peasant with other partners. Right. And Where were you when you had this call? Do you remember? I was at Physically? Forge. I was on the porch at Forge. And we should say, when you say Forge, that was the opening Mark name. Forge You're talking about yeah. Mark Forge. Yeah. Um, we were actually in a manager meeting, and I saw Frank DiCarlo calling my phone. I was like, right. Frank DiCarlo calls you. You pick up the phone. Um, and, you know, I just took a deep breath. And, again, I've had these moments in my life, you know, like when I was... You know, I had to ask the New York Times guy to leave or, you know, whether I was going to cook, 
Thanksgiving for next Iron Chef without any turkey. Like, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. these are like kind of swinging for fence moments. And I just took a deep breath. And as I always do, I just kind of followed my gut. And I was like, yes, I'll take it. And he goes, okay. Also, just so you know, New Year's Eve is my last day. <laughs> and this is in September. Of 19. It takes years to sign deals in open restaurants. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, we, I had three months. You know, I was just like, all right, man, giddy up. When did it come up that you were going to keep it peasant? I don't know off the top of my head, but I, I, I just remember calling him and saying... You know, I asked permission. I didn't tell him I was going to. Yeah, of course. You know, um, I said, if it's okay with you, you know, I'd love to just keep it peasant, um, you know. Um, and he, Frank, being Frank, again, I don't know if you ever had any interactions with Frank, but, you know, Frank being Frank was just like, do whatever you want. It's yours. <laughs> and, and that was it, man. I mean, again, you know, somehow, some way, we got all the legal stuff we needed to get done. We got, the, I mean, it was like, Literally, like, you talk about fast forward. I mean, it was like, you know, like I said, a year's worth of stuff. We had to crunch into three months. Um, and it was also during the fourth quarter, which is the craziest time. Yeah, sure. And I was juggling what I was going to do with this meatpacking thing. And They say timing is everything, right? Let's say you got that call six to eight weeks later when we're all reading about, like, COVID in the, you know, in China mm -hmm. and then in Italy and, like, there's cases in San Francisco. Yeah. Do you think you would have said yes then? I mean, listen, I think I would have said yes at any time if somebody asked me if I want a peasant. You would have. Okay. I mean. That's great. But, you know, you talk about timing, like right place, right time. Like uh, imagine I didn't give that speech or imagine right. I didn't do that dinner. Yeah, or, right. You know, it's like I said, man, it's crazy. Like it does, it, it, you give this script to somebody and they'd yeah. say, you know, this is, nobody's going to believe that you get your favorite restaurant. It's enough to like, make you believe in fate, <laughs> yes. you know? It is. It really is. And I can't tell you how many times, and this is a true story, you can ask my wife that, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one to say this, but, you know, when, whenever we would eat at Peasant, I would just always look at her and be like, God, I wish, like, I wish I could have a place like this. Like, I'll tell you funny, it's unrelated, right? But just moment like that, million years ago, uh, there was a thing, there was like a thing called the Varsity Show at Columbia University. And I had been, I had been part of it my life. It was like a skit thing, comedy, comedy and musical stuff. And I, I was in it my senior year. And the, the next year I went back and, to see it. And um, there was a group of people there and there were some people I really didn't get along with in that production. And one of them was with this woman and I was just completely smitten. And like the whole time I'm, you know, in the middle of the audience, they're like in the second row and I'm look, I'm watching her and I'm like, how can I meet her? She's with this person who I'm sure would tell her, stay away from him. Right. He's an asshole. Right. And I'm with my friend, Steve, who's still a good friend of mine to this day. And I'm like, uh. and then I, they leave. I see them leave. They, and I'm like, oh, you know, well, whatever. She left her scarf. Yeah. Nice. And she came back alone for her scarf. And we ended up dating for two years. That's crazy. That didn't happen? Yeah. No, I mean, life Gone. is- Gone, into the night, Listen, into the ether. I tell people all the time, life is full of those moments. You just gotta know- You gotta recognize them. And you gotta go get it. Yeah. You gotta go get 100%. it. 100%. Because yeah. you don't get those moments too often. Right. And- I believe that's a very somebody, specific skill to have, or well, whatever you wanna call it. Like to recognize that, oh, I gotta grab this. It's not just the skill, it's also- um, Instinct? A, well, a way of living, because yeah. not every, you know, not everybody, 
has the, I don't know how you teach, like the, the can't teach, like just go get it. Mm-hmm. You know, go get that scarf and bring it back to her. You know how many other guys? No, no, no. I didn't go bring it. To, she came back for it. No, but, but I'm yes. saying, you know how many oh, other yeah. guys wouldn't have right. talked to her when right. she brought the scarf right. back. Right. You know what right. I mean? Right. Or, you know, you just, yeah, those moments, listen, any like successful person will tell you there's three or four moments or any person that's found their soulmate. Or, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's always like these moments that. Mm-hmm. Yes. hundred so. percent. Well, I have one other thing I want to ask you about this. Restaurant spaces, right? It's so touching to me the way Frank felt about that space because, as you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, kind of dabble in culinary history, right? Mm-hmm. And I totally, it resonates with me what he said about, like, he didn't want it to become an Apple store or whatever or, like, you know, we're around here, you know, Chelsea's developed so, mu- so much in the last 10 years. There's so many spaces that were restaurants that are now, like, a CVS, you know, or a mm-hmm. bank, Um Places that in their day were super important. Like Pino Luongo had a place, La Madre, at 18th and 7th, Mm -hmm. right? And that's like some retail location now. There's no sign of it. That building was like a tribute to Tuscany. He had little cypress plants on the second, you know, on Mm -hmm. the outside of the building. And it's it's gone. And I mean, that in one respect, that's the nature of things. But restaurants are such a personal thing for people who patronize them and spend time in them and, and who work at them and who created them. I do find it very sad that they disappear, yep. you know? And I think that's great that that was important to him. Well, you know, it's funny. And I think that's unusual. Well, you know, what's funny is I couldn't agree with you more. And I, whether I'm doing it on purpose or not, <laughs> but all three of my restaurants are in spaces that have long life history in restaurants. And I'm so proud and honored to be able to do that. And I, you know, I think obviously I have, you know, a little more kind of attachment to the history of New York city restaurants than most people my age for extremely obvious reasons. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's obvious to everyone in the world, but you're talking about your dad, my, my life, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, um, well, you know, well, just quickly, cause I, I, you know, I try to let, you know, someone like you, you know, be on, you know, I would never have mentioned your dad probably in the interview, uh, because you're, you know, you for sure, you're your own person yeah, in this no, industry. I, I don't but, shy away no, from No, but I'm saying for people yeah. who don't know, your yeah. father, Larry Forgione, um, who's involved a little bit here and there in your current projects, of course, yeah. um, is one of the most important figures in modern American cuisine. Yeah. He, he was uh, uh, the first prominent chef at the River Cafe in, in Brooklyn. Uh, and brought that place to prominence. He had his own place called an American place and was involved in a bunch of other projects over the years. But, you know, he was a a very good friend of James Beard's and he was in the thick of the American food revolution. Major figure. For people out there who don't know history. Yeah, Yeah, very important. And one of the people who, you know, new American cuisine has become such a Mm catch-all. But he was one of the people who really did new like in italics, American yep. cuisine, like exploring regional American food right. and sourcing and all that stuff. He created, you know, with, without him and, you know, a few other people, obviously, that, you know, there wouldn't be uh, Whole Foods or farmer's markets or, or any of that stuff yeah. um, the way that they are. I'm not saying it never would have happened, yes. but the way that they are and, you know, just seeing a farmer's name on a menu, like 
Nobody, the, the, he it, was, it didn't exist. It certainly did not exist on this coast. <laughs> no. he, is, he is very, and also sourcing. He yeah. was, a, he was a very, before the internet and everything else, yeah. he created, he sleuthed out places around the country and asked farmers and to asked them stuff. to put stuff in yeah. boxes for him. They weren't set up for that yet. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, so that's so why yeah, you have so, a special appreciation. And, and I, right. So, you know, I'd look at restaurants, you know, just you talking when you walked in and, you know, Gotham was one of my first books you said, and you know, that you were working on Chantrelle, like, you know, I don't know how many people my age would have the kind of respect for Gotham Bar and Grill or Chantrelle mm -hmm. or, and where I'm going with that is, um, you know, whether I happen to do it or not, um, but I am doing it and I'm so proud that I'm doing it is, you know, we're moving, um, restaurant Mark Forgione down the block uh, next year, um, the lease is up, and I'm taking over the old uh, Danube space. Oh, wow. I didn't know and, that. You know, so it's a classic um, it's great. New York restaurant yeah. space. I'm taking over, um, you know, uh, Vitaly's Oto, which, never mind Oto, you know, before that, it was it was Clementine and and one fifth. Well, Clementine was where a guy named John Schenk was the chef. People yeah. probably don't remember yeah. John. Anthony Bourdain was a chef at one point when it was one fifth. I mean, yeah. The, the, and Alfred these, Portali did a Portali did a fish restaurant a, there with yeah. the late Leslie Revson. And Carrie Heffernan was a sous yes. chef, yeah. chef de cuisine. Yeah. So my point is, is like, and then peasant. We obviously we're talking about it right now, but. You know, I'm like I'm 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 helping to prevent these places from getting turned into um, and that's deliberate a retail. Um, again, I don't know if it's deliberate, but it's I'm so proud to be doing it. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like I I don't want those these these places to go away. You know what I mean? I I don't think they should. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, so you're like an independent landmark. Uh, I'm trying. Commission. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it wasn't like a, a a goal that I had in my career. Right, but, but this goes to what you were saying before. When you see the opportunities to do yes. that, you seize them. Right. right. Okay. Um, tell us about the new place. It's um, one fifth, as we say. It's a one one fifth is as the ad, for people who don't know New York address math. That's at the foot of Fifth Avenue, right near Washington Square Park. It's where Fifth Avenue, depending on your point of view, begins or ends. Mm -hmm. um, if you've ever seen those arches that are in the park, uh, uh, that's like a stone's throw from from the address. And that has been, as you said, a number of restaurants over the years. Um, uh, what do you? What, why did you want it, and what are you going to be doing there? Yeah, so I mean, again, it's one of those stupid stories, and you know, but I'll, I'll tell you the quick and dirty about how I found it. I was driving to Peasant um, right like two days after they had just announced that there was no more indoor dining in the winter of whatever it was, twenty mid March of twenty. They announced no. it March 13th. No, 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 no. There was, another, there was the second shutdown. Oh, the Omicron. No, that was the third one. <laughs> the, the second one was, I th again, I don't remember what year it I was. I can't keep it straight. Me neither. I, th I think it was December 2020. Um, but Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Omicron was 21. Yes, and, correct. So I think it was December 2020. They just told us no more yeah. indoor dining. Right, it was and, right before the holidays. Again. Yeah, yeah. And it was shut down for three months. But anyway, so they just told us. New York City is frozen. There's nobody on the streets. And I'm driving to Peasant to basically like box it up again, which I couldn't believe, you know, couldn't be more depressing. I wasn't paying attention. I was supposed to make a left on 
whatever it was, 10th or 12th, you know, to get over. Mm -hmm. I was on Fifth Avenue and I missed the turn. And um, sorry, a little precursor. My father and I, pre-COVID, we've been looking for a space to to do like a Forgione, the way the Forgiones eat like during the holidays or even just when we have family get-togethers. Family style. Like we, we, we stopped kind of doing like the sit-down formal dinners that we used to do because the mm-hmm. family got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it just turned into like all the food would go on like this. Mm-hmm. And You're for- gesturing at your big marble Island, counter yeah. here. Yeah. And like, you know, the four Jones all hang out in the kitchen as opposed to hanging out in the living room and watching the football game. So, um, and food just c- continued to come out. And my father fell in love with um, pizza, which is like pizza's older brother in ancient grains from, mm-hmm. you know, created in ancient Rome. And, you know, obviously there's arguments about all that kind of stuff. But um, so we were looking for spaces to do this. And, you know, then COVID happened and life happened and, you know, everything got kind of put on hold. But anyway, so I make, I missed the turn. I make the left on 8th Street <laughs> to get over. And it was on your right side right there. Yeah. And I see, I mean, my memory serves me right. It was just like one of those basic, like, you know, space available. With a realtor's name. Not even. Oh. Just space available. <laughs> it might have been handwritten. Like, I don't even... And I just like slammed on the brakes, left the car in the middle of the street. Again, there was nobody really there, so it wasn't like that dramatic, but I just left the car in the middle of the street running, got out of the car, took a picture of the thing, got in the car, called the number, and we were negotiating three weeks later. And um, if you think about it, like what better space to, to do you know, this Forgione kind of communal, you know, dining. I mean, it was like, this can't be, you know, again, another one of those pinch me, like, like this can't be happening. Like, now I have my own thoughts about what you mean by that, but what do you mean by that in terms of the space? It's just set up for it. Like you walk in and you're basically in somebody's Italian kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the, the kitchen is in the dining room. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's right there. Yeah. Like, you know, um, are you going to do, are you doing a lot of redesign or not so much? Yeah. We're making it, I don't know if you've ever walked through the lobby of one fifth. Um, no. The actual apartment building? No. Which nobody will get to unless you live there. But, um, maybe next time you're there, just kind of poke your head in. But when it came to the design, you know, it's like beautiful wood and kind of old, it kind of looks like Peasant and Forge, to be honest. So it kind of worked for my brand perfectly. Um, but we, you'll see when you come in, it, it basically like looks like, um, like an old, I don't know if farmhouse is the right word, but again, you have to see the lobby. Um, it looks like it was built, you know, you know 50, 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, like I said, it just lends it to, and that you know, that's kind of what Odo was doing in that in that neighborhood. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And trust me, I tell you, they miss it because we're having people come up to us, you know, um, almost on a daily basis. Like, when are you opening? When are you opening? When are you opening? Um, so we're excited to kind of bring this kind of communal, especially after COVID and everything we've been through. Mm-hmm. I keep telling my staff, like my management team, like you know, we want people to sit next to strangers again. 
And we want people to talk to strangers mm-hmm. again. And you know what I mean? We want to put them close to each other. My wife and I, <laughs> we, we've been going out again. And, uh, we, you know, we, go to the, we eat at the bar all the time at restaurants for that reason. I mean, we've always loved eating at the bar anyway, but... There's something about meeting a stranger at a bar. All that stuff. And just talking. Love it. You, sometimes you don't even ask people's names. No. And you have an hour conversation. Yeah. And you don't ask them before you leave. You just say, nice talking to you, man. And you yeah. leave. And like that, you know, you know as well as I do, that went away for a while. And it's like, you know, that's like, you know, that room in particular, that front room is just meant for communal family yeah. living. And like, I, I can't wait. It's like, I'm like chomping at the bits to, to get it open. You know what used to be great in that respect? Did you ever eat when Scott Bryan was at uh, Veritas? Yeah. I mean, when I was younger, but yeah. But that bar. Yeah. Because his, I guess, uh, his, one of the partners there, Steve Reeland would sometimes just come in with a bag and just start pouring it for people at the bar. Yeah. And you would just end up talking to mm-hmm. everybody. It's great. Yeah. Now, is what I've read correct? Is this restaurant going to be, I don't like to say, actually your dad is one of the reasons I don't like this term because it's a newish term. And people like your dad were doing it like 40 years ago. I don't say farm to table generally, but is, is what I've read right? You're going to be very driven by the, the at least market. at least in the right, you know, in the in nine months of the year by what's happening at the Union Square Farmer's Market yeah. right nearby. Well, that's something that I think is kind of interesting is, you know, I'm a born and bred New Yorker and like I never really associated um, that address, one-fifth, as like near the market. Yeah. And then this is a true story. I went to the market <laughs> and then I walked to one fifth and I like had like a, a light bulb went in my off of my head, like holy shit. Like Yeah, isn't that because eighth I mean people who don't I used to live on Eighth Street right off between fifth and sixth Avenue. Yeah, so you know. I mean it's no, right but there. Pe- yes, but it's like Eighth Street at, at least then was its own world, right? Like someone was That's like, what I mean. It's not considered it's, Union Square. But no, it's but right it's not there. considered you know, people yeah. would say to me, What's your neighborhood like? And I was like, I'll just say this. If you need to buy um shoe cheap, discount shoes, um uh African merchandise or a bong. I was about to say, or weed. Yeah. yeah, this is your this is your block. Yep. Like that's all it was. Yep. Like there were stores like House of Nubian, yeah, yeah, and yeah. there were a million head shops and discount shoe stores. Yeah. Like that's A Street. But you know, but you turn that like One Fifth Avenue is one of the most desirable addresses in Lower Manhattan, right? So it's like, it's like this. It, that's very yeah. New York, though. And I've timed it. it yeah. It's a six minute walk. Oh, I know. Six minute walk yeah. to the Union to Absolutely. the farmers market. Yeah. So yeah, you know. You know, you know as well as I do, that's what Italian is. I mean, you know, I know you use the new American term. Like, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of what what it is. And the fact that um, I'm going to get to showcase it, I think I'm going to get to, like, showcase vegetables a little more than I do, you know, at my other restaurants, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I'm, like, excited to, to do it. Is it going to be improv? I, I mean, within reason, is it going to be somewhat spontaneous? I won't say improvisational. Is it going to be constantly changing? Yes. Yeah, Based I mean, on, I, like at the time of year we're in right now, you might not know what's going to be on the menu Thursday night when you wake up Monday morning. It's I, I don't know if it's going to change that much. We'll definitely have daily additions and that kind uh-huh. of thing. But I think it's it will be. I mean, listen, Forge we print the menu every day. We don't change the whole menu, but you know we we change a few things. And peasant, we print the menu every day now. And you know it's it's like what's going on and like yeah. there it'll be the same thing. That's how I do my restaurants. Yeah. So. I guess this dovetails well. Something else that I 
have read about is this new, how do I put it? You are now, you've formed a hospitality group. It's not just you have a couple of restaurants now. Like you actually now officially have a hospitality group. It's called Respect Hospitality, correct? Yep. Yep. Uh, How did this come about? How did you hook up with the people you're now hooked up with? And why did you want to create that kind of a structure when, you know, seemingly, you know, especially in such a volatile business, you had, you know, I mean, here you are on the other end of COVID, you know, and your, your businesses are still here. Mm -hmm. Um, So just give me the, give me the background on that. Of course. Yeah. So my whole kind of career, it's been, um, you know, kind of a mixed, we'll call it like a mixed bag. Um, you know, I opened restaurant Mark Forgion with, with Chris, um, Blumlow. And then, um, you know, I was approached by LDV to do, uh, American cuts. Um, and then again, I had the peasant thing kind of happened. Um, again, I told you I was going to do this, uh, meatpacking thing with another group. So like, it's like, I've almost been just like, kind of like courted by, Uh, different groups, but it was never like unified. Um, It was never, you know, unite the clans. Put an umbrella over the whole thing. Exactly. So I would have like, you know, four different meetings, four different partners. Right. You know. So it would would actually, right, going about it that way would complicate rather than simplify your your business life. Listen, my, in a weird way, you know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket because if the basket drops, all your eggs Mm -hmm. break kind of thing. So you know, I can't complain. I mean, here I am 15 years later, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay. So it all kind of worked out. But, you know, in the back of my head, I always wanted to kind of have one clean, simple, um, you know, group. And maybe um, I wasn't ready to do it until now mm-hmm. anyway. So it all kind of worked out. But, um, you know, I was a, uh, approached by um, a group, a newly formed group called Epre Crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they have some restaurant guys, there's some finance guys, um, some master sommeliers, um, and are they French with that name or are they, no, they're, they're all it's an American, American guys. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they all have different backgrounds. You know, one of them's EMP, the other one's Union Square Hospitality. Um, and they basically you know, their, their pitch was, you know, like we're, we're reaching out to chefs slash restaurants that, that we love that we know probably need help right now. And at the time I did, mm-hmm. it was uh, that first summer of COVID. And, you know, we sat outside and had, had dinner in the street because that's what we were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we, we hit it off. You know, I told them what I wanted. They told me what, you know, they would like to do to help. And, mm-hmm. and it kind of all made sense. And, you know, it's now a partnership with them. But the partnership, the sum of its parts is respect hospitality. Mm-hmm. I wanted to call it Forge Hospitality, but that was taken. Was it taken by the same people who made you change your no, name? No, believe it or not, it was... <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about the name of Mark Forgione. Yeah. No, yeah. this was... I just Listen, we, talk about, we were talking about Universe before. The Universe just doesn't want me to use Forge as a name for anything. Like, it was some restaurant right. group in well, like, a, that's Pennsylvania a, or something. That's a very healthy way to look at it. it is what yeah. it is. What can you do? And I was taking a walk one day in the West Side Highway, and I was like... I think I had my eyes closed, and like I saw the word respect, and it means a lot to me in my life, not just in the restaurant, but out of the restaurant. And I think our industry has taken a lot of hits 
you know, whether deserving or not, it doesn't matter, but it's taken a lot of hits. How do you, like, how do you mean that? You know, I just think the hospitality industry, you know, with everything that happened with, you know, the, the Me Too's and, you know, the way that people kind of look at the some restaurants as it's like a crazy, volatile, mean place to work in the kitchen. And I'm not saying that all that stuff doesn't exist. Right. It exists in every industry. And, you know, I think you know as well as I do, right? More people like to talk about the bad than the good. And I think there's some great people doing great things in their restaurants that lead them with so much respect that I've had the pleasure of working in. And I've worked in crazy kitchens too. Yeah, so like, I get it. Listen, I, I just did, um, my friend, Matt Rodbard writer and editor, uh, has a show called a podcast called T- the taste podcast. He just had me on recently and we got into this subject and I made the point you just made, you know, like, yes, that stuff goes on, but it's not universal. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've made most of my best friends in your industry. Uh, I've met amazing people in your industry. Your industry has produced people like Jose Andres and Edward yeah. Lee and, you know, these people who do amazing things. I mean, that's just two people, mm-hmm. like amazing things in all kinds of areas of work and life. And the story I tell is during COVID, I was having a Zoom call with some couple of friends of mine, actually some people I met on vacation years ago, a couple in Ohio and a couple in Boston. And the Boston couple were down in Florida and one of their, same one of their parents. And they go, oh, mom and dad, come say, Apologies to anyone who heard the taste interview because it's the same story. They said, come say hi to my friends. And the, you know, these two older parents come over, you know, and they're like, oh, hello, everybody. And then, what do you do? What do you do? And they got to me and they said, what do you do? And I said, I write about chefs. And they said, oh, I hear those are dangerous characters. You know, the mom. <laughs> and, you know, like you're laughing, but like that really kind of breaks my heart a little bit yeah. because... That is the reputation the industry has. And if you live on Twitter, you may think, you know, there's people who've been in the industry who talk about it like that's all there is, mm-hmm. but that's not all there is. Every, no. Most people listening to this, I think, you know, who are industry, this is an industry listenership mostly, it's not universal. No, of course not. And it's obviously getting better. I mean, some of it's gotten better through like strong arming and, and certain movements that have happened and, and, and the fact that everyone now has a video camera in their pocket, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's... And, if that's what it took, then so be it. But it, you know, it's definitely evolving. But what I was going to, it's funny you said that because I was going to ask you because of all the reasons you just named, I, I love the reasoning behind it. I did wonder if you feel like at all, you're sticking your chin out. You know, that, I, you know, that yes. is a name the where you're yes. saying, I'm not that guy. The answer right? is yes. I am not that guy. My people are not those people. Yeah. The answer is yes. And yeah. my, my partners were a little, I don't know, hesitant you know, like for that reason. Yeah, they all kind of set me down and like, you know, we don't know, like it's like a dare. Right. Well it could be taken like a dare. Well, what 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 their worries were were, you know, that that means that we're really gonna need to live up to that. And I looked at them straight faced and said, I know. You know what I mean? And I truly mean that. And mm-hmm. it's already starting to happen where respect there's not a day that goes by now in any restaurant where we don't say respect. You know what I mean? It's turning into like a... A shorthand? Yeah. Or like, a mantra? Like, yeah, you know, like yeah. if somebody like, you know, maybe messes something up or, or forgets to do something, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, come on, man, respect. Like, let's go. You know what, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, and this is, it's what I wanted. You know, it was just like, I, I told you, it was like a moment of clarity where, and trust me, it, it forces you to, myself, more than anybody. And, that, and that's what I kind of expressed. There's nobody that is put more on the chopping block 
than me by myself by calling my restaurant group respect hospitality. Right. You know, because it's I am now responsible for everything, and that makes that I need to make sure that everybody that works and is put in these positions, yeah, respects, you know, everything that that's happening. Yeah. And in turn, I also think there's like a tongue in cheek where I'm saying, look, let's respect hospitality because right. I'll re- I'll respect everybody that shows me respect as well. And um, you know, again, it's an industry that I've grown up in and an industry that I love. And you know, you won't see me sit here and deny the fact that there are crazy times, but so is every other industry. And I just think it's like easier to talk about the the negative than, than the positive. And, you know, you're talking about Jose Andres and Ed Lee and like, you know, the, the charities that I'm a part of with the chefs that I'm a part of them with. I mean, we're talking about, you know, probably hundreds of millions of dollars in the last 25 years, you know, when you talk about, you know, Feeding America or City Meals or, you know, Chefs for Cancer or, you know what I mean? And like, I don't see those articles written as much as the articles written about, you know, somebody yelling at somebody. And I have no problem putting my head on the chopping block because, you know, I'm not going to say that I don't have any skeletons or, but who doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, And the way that I'm living my life right now is with as much respect as I can possibly do for myself, my family, Mm -hmm. the the ingredients, the the industry, my employees, Mm -hmm. my, you know, you name it, my guests, the, it's, you know, it's, it's not a bad mantra to live by. You know? No, not at all. I love it, the name. I just, you know, it's also like if something, God forbid, you know, I don't, there's no wood here for me to knock on. But, you know, there you go, your cutting board. <laughs> you know, it's like a, it's like a, you know, it's like a headline writer's like wet dream, I right? Know, if something I goes know. bad. I know. and it's, But I'm not doing know. it, but I promise you I'm not doing it to to instigate. Yeah, you don't mean in, it as a dare. In any way, shape, or form. But you recognize the risk in it. It's putting pressure on myself and my team mm-hmm. to live by that mantra of respect. Can I ask you, this may be a delicate question. I, it's, it's, I mean it as a compliment. Um, I, was, I was with uh, a friend the other day hanging out, and this is an industry person, and they said, have you ever eaten at Restaurant Mark Forgione? And I said, yeah. They're like, is it good? And I think you're, before I ever knew you, the first time I ever came to dinner there, I came with Harold Dieterle and our, our wives. Mm-hmm. We, I think we came to celebrate finishing our cookbook or something. I'm like, it's great. <laughs> you know, like it's Thank great. You. I'm like, have you been to peasant? And they're like, no, I'm like, it's great. Mm-hmm. Is this something, do you ever run into the, here's where my question comes from. Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of born into the industry. Um, uh, you, uh, you've been done very well on television. You know, those are two things that people don't necessarily associate with like uh, validation of talent, 100%. right? Yeah. Now, do you find that people, d- does it surprise you to hear that somebody in the industry in New York asked me that? And is this something you've had to kind of deal with in your life? Because you and I don't, we don't, we don't hang out. I mean, we get along great. And, and we had my second anniversary party for the podcast at restaurant Mark Forgione. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we don't, you know, we're not like best buddies. I'm not trying to like set up a friend here. Mm-hmm. Um, I seriously respect your talent as a, as a chef and as an operator. Thank right. You. And, um, uh, but I feel like you're an undervalued commodity. Well, I'm glad you said it. 
But do you, can I ask you, do you feel that way? Do you feel like, you know, that you have a little bit of fame and that you come from this family? Listen, do, I'm an, does, easy, does that, I'm does an that, easy person. You, I mean, you just said it, right? I'm on let's, let's put it this way, like on paper or on the surface, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, uh, I'm sure he got a Michelin star because of his name or, you know what I mean? I'm sure that his daddy bought his restaurant for him or I'm sure... Um, you know, he grew up a millionaire because his dad is a famous chef. Like, and the funny thing is, is all that stuff couldn't be, couldn't be farther from the truth. Yes, I know. Like could not be. Yes. Um, I'm not going to get into that. Right. But, um, so like I said, on the surface, it's like very easy. You know, again, we were talking about my mohawk before and like. Yeah. The first time I met you, you were a, I don't even think you were a suit. You were like a cook. Maybe you were a suit. I think I'd just become a suit. At BLT Fish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my, my point is, is like, I've just always been me and anybody that knows me, you know, I opened the, the way that I raised the money to open Forge. Again, if I wasn't Larry Forge's son, you could probably write a book on it. You know what I mean? Like I was going into people's apartments, you know, that looked like this, that now I'm blessed to have. And I would cook for 10 people in their kitchen right. and ask them to, before the dinner to bring their checkbooks. And at the end of that dinner, somebody might write me a check for 10 grand or 20 grand if they liked what I made them that day. And, you know, when we opened that restaurant, we were still doing those dinners, <laughs> asking people to bring their checkbooks to yeah. the restaurant. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, there, there was no golden goose or egg or... You paid all the same dues that everyone else If not more. Like, I took, you know, the chance... Like, who would would open a restaurant like that? I just... Again, I was following my gut, you know, and I won the next Iron Chef. I I don't know why somebody would want to, like, poke at that or, like, you know what I mean? I don't think it's... I think the word I use is right. I think undervalued. I think there's a That's what I'm saying. If I wasn't Larry Foggione's son, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody undervalues... You know, oh, I Mike, Michael saying. Simon. Or, right, no, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but I think also succeeding... I'm also, I also live a very... I've, I have a great career, so I don't want it to sound like woe is me. No, you know? well, this is what I was going to ask. Is this just something that in the background, or if I, somebody like me brings it up, is like a mild annoyance because you've, you know, you're successful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I meditate every morning. I have this, it's a constantly changing thing. I've script, you know, I've written things I want to keep in mind every day. Mm-hmm. And one of them is like how I react to situations, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 there's a there's a little section on my sheet. It says always ask, right? Mm-hmm. And and in situations, it's always asked, does this affect me other than emotionally? Because mm-hmm. if it doesn't, let it go. Yeah. Like like, is it affecting me fiscally? Is it affecting another member of my like my kids or my wife? Yep. Is it affecting my reputation in the industry? Or somebody just being slightly disrespectful and that bugs me, but who cares? Like it's not like... Yeah, I think for me, it's kind of a combination of all that. I will say this, and I think it's really been such like a a pleasure is, you know, peasant being peasant. I've probably had more chefs come to peasant in the last three years, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, than, than I have you know, at Forge in the last three years. And it's like been so nice to like cook for, you know, chefs that, again, I'm very friendly and, and um, you know, like I said, I don't want it to sound like, you know, uh, it's like this like terrible thing. I think like just to kind of like answering your question of, I think I had a chip on my shoulder for sure, which maybe is why I'm so driven. I don't know. Um, 
but I definitely had this kind of like chip on my shoulder. I don't anymore, but maybe like seven, eight years ago, nine years, you know, 10 years ago where it was like, you know what? Like, you don't want to like give me my dues just because of my name and this, that, the other thing. Like I'll go get them myself. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what I've done. And, um, you know, you don't really see me apologize for, for my name. You know, I'm proud of it. Why would you? It's it's a great name. Right. But I mean, I don't apologize for my success and I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, if, again, the people that know me and the people that really know my story, you know, I tell people all the time, like, if you read the intro to my book, like there was no (laughs) yellow brick road that. No, you know, it's like I said, the first time I ever met you, I, st- I remember because I was working on that book, Don't Try This at Home, and I came to interview Laurent Torrendale, yeah. who I ended up doing a book with. Mm-hmm. Y- you were in the trenches there, yeah. you know. You can ask any, any chef that I've ever worked yeah, for. Yeah, I know. Trust me. Then, I know. Then, that'll answer any questions no, about I know. my, my anyway, work ethic. We don't have to keep talking about it. I, was, <laughs> I hope it's okay I asked you because it is something. When I got asked that the other day, it did strike me, and I just was like, God, that's really... I think a, a really it's good way bad. a good it's way to wrap a good way to wrap it up is if I didn't have the the name or the baggage or whatever you want to call it I think I would be taking a little more serious by culinary people but at the same time industry or journalists or both a little bit of both mm-hmm. but at the same time my career is so blessed and I'm so successful. So it's like, who cares? Right. Yeah, that's good. Right. <laughs> Living well is the best revenge. Yeah. This has been great. Thanks for having me over. Thanks Absolutely. for the snacks. And of course, really good to see you again. And I look forward to coming to one fifth and it's uh, first weeks. Yeah, man. Like I said, we're, I couldn't be more excited to open this restaurant and um, you know, it's going to be fun and exciting and loud and hopefully packed and busy and lots of strangers talking to other strangers. And that's our show for today. Again, my great thanks to Mark Forgione for joining us. Please support Mark's restaurants. I enjoy all of them. Restaurant Mark Forgione, Peasant, and the newly opened One Fifth. Our thanks, as always, to Sam Pellegrino for their support of the pod. And thanks to Bento Box and Clover for their support. From websites and marketing tools to point of sale, payments, and ordering, Bento Box and Clover together offer all the unified technology you need for restaurant success. Learn more and book a demo today at getbento.com slash better. Andrew Talks to Chefs is produced by Table 12 Productions. The show is written, booked, edited, mixed, and hosted by me, Andrew Friedman. If you would like to support us, we ask you do that by telling a friend, posting about the show on social media, or rating or especially reviewing us at Apple Podcasts, which helps new listeners find the pod our thanks to after school special for our music please check out their album double barrel single entendre on itunes please do follow us on instagram the handle for that is at chef podcast thank you for listening and we will see you back here soon with another episode of andrew talks to chefs